0: I'm Greg Storr at the Supreme Court in Washington with June Grasso and Michael Best in New York. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. Lester Packingham's Facebook post was innocuous enough. He had just won the dismissal of a traffic ticket and he went online to give God the credit. Thanks Jesus, he wrote. But because Packingham is a convicted North Carolina sex offender, the post got him facing new criminal charges. Prosecutors accused him of violating a state law that bars registered sex offenders from using social media Sites that that let children become members. That includes Twitter and Facebook and possibly even the New York Times' website. The issue today in a U.S. Supreme Court argument was whether that law goes so far it violates the First Amendment. The justices tend to be technologically averse, but the one hour argument got them discussing whether Twitter, Facebook, and other forms of social media have become indispensable in today's culture. With us to discuss the argument is Melissa, Melissa Sherry, a lawyer with Latham and Watkins in Washington. She filed a brief supporting North, the North Carolina law for groups that combat child sex abuse and help victims of sex trafficking. And we're going to have Mark Rotenberg, who's the president of the Electronic Privacy Information Center. He filed a brief urging the court to strike down the law. Melissa, um, explain to me what your understanding of what this, this law covers.
1: So my understanding is based on North Carolina's position that it covers what we think of as true social networking sites. So, like you said, sites like Facebook and, and Twitter, and does not go so far as to cover sites like the New York Times, um, Betty Crocker and a number of other examples that were in the amicus briefs. Uh, the North Carolina took that position before the court um, and has defended it on that basis.
2: Mark, what was the argument that Packingham made here?
3: Well, he argued essentially that the North Carolina statute violated the First Amendment because it prohibited uh, both the expression of speech, such as the comment he had posted on Facebook, as well as his ability to receive information online. And, of course, so much information is made available today on the Internet that to prevent somebody from getting access to a wide range of Internet websites would prevent them from getting access to a lot of protected speech.
2: Melissa, why would it be okay to keep somebody off the internet like this?
1: So North Carolina's justification is that what you have here is a class. These are registered sex offenders. So these are individuals who were previously convicted Of a sex offense, Uh, there are a number of restrictions that are placed on sex offenders after their release and their sentences have ended, including um, having to register, for example, and a number of other uh, impairments that come with registration. What North Carolina was trying to do is find a way to prevent these offenders from having access to children. And while, um, you know, back in the day, you would think about places like parks and playgrounds and schools where Um, Kids would gather, and there are a number of laws preventing previously convicted sex offenders from going to those physical locations and having access to children. Uh, In today's modern world, these are basically virtual places where children gather and uh, where statistics have shown that offenders do have access to children and are able to both get information and contact children through these sites.
0: Mark, it's really hard to argue with that objective. Uh, Why isn't this just a matter of uh, of taking what states have always done in restricting sex offenders from physical places and applying it to a virtual world?
3: Well, I think it's important to understand that is a big leap, of course. I mean, you could easily justify restrictions on access to. Uh, physical spaces, uh, such as a, a, a school or a park, that doesn't implicate the First Amendment. But when you pass a state law that restricts a person's ability to get access to information uh, where there's no uh, direct risk of, of contact or harm, then you're squarely in the First Amendment realm. Part of the concern that I heard this morning, I was at the court for the arguments and several of the justices were saying that recognizing North Carolina's concern, the statute itself nonetheless seems overly broad. In other words, if you're concerned about the possibility of communications between a convicted sex offender and a minor, uh, then maybe you need a statute that is focused specifically on those types of communications and not this much broader uh, uh, reach to all commercial uh, social networking sites. They even said that when you think about what constitutes a commercial social networking site, it's not always clear where the, where the line is to be drawn. I mean, you know, Facebook may be an obvious example. I don't think it's obvious that the New York Times, where people are able to exchange comments and, and provide their identity and even you know profile images, could not be considered a social networking site. And certainly Twitter, um, interestingly, which came up several times during the argument this morning, is, is viewed very much as a social networking site, and still it's become one of the primary ways of receiving information in the United States.
0: We're talking with Mark Rotenberg of the Electronic Privacy Privacy Information Center and Melissa Sherry uh, with Latham and Watkins here in Washington, D.C., about the Supreme Court argument today on a North Carolina law that bars convicted sex offenders from uh, uh, taking part from using uh, social media or, or many forms of social media. Supreme Court heard arguments today. We'll talk more about that in a moment. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. Michael Best and June Grosser are in in New York. I'm Greg Storr here at the Supreme Court. We're talking about the Supreme Court arguments today on a North Carolina law that bars convicted sex offenders from using many forms of social media. A number of the justices were skeptical of of the law and the arguments today. Justice Elena Kagan said that uh, Twitter and Facebook have become incredibly important parts of our political and religious culture, Anthony Kennedy said that the communications that happen there are more uh, significant than what used to go on in the paradigmatic public square. Our guests are Melissa Arbus Sherry, who is a lawyer at Latham and Watkins. She filed a brief uh, helping to defend the law. And Mark Rotenberg of the Electronic Privacy Information Center, he filed a brief uh, opposing the law. Melissa, uh, a minute ago, Mark was talking about uh, his view about why this law sweeps up too much so much more speech than necessary isn't there aren't there ways the state could uh... do something more narrowly to actually get at uh... people who are getting on social media to try to get in touch with minors rather than you know barring our all social media access
1: so there, there certainly are laws that are more narrow i think the harder question is whether there's laws that can be equally or close to as effective as this law and that's something that north carolina was struggling with a lot of the more narrow examples actually do exist either in North Carolina or in other states. And unfortunately, they haven't been sufficient uh, to stop the, the tide of, of sex offenders. And so, you know, North Carolina and other states are looking for additional options uh, and other ways to, to get at these offenders before they re-offend. And so um, in focusing on access, what this addresses that a lot of the other alternatives do not, is, is stopping passive information gathering, so individuals that are able to access profiles and personal information of kids online in a very anonymous, passive way, find out what their likes are, what their dislikes are, figure out where they're going. You know, People put cell phone numbers on there and other personal information, and so by prohibiting access, it's meant to stop um that information gathering before another child is abused. Mark, were you
2: surprised that it seemed like at least five justices suggested during the argument that they would rule for North Carolina resident uh, Packingham, that they were so familiar with social media, because often they're not when it comes to cases like this?
3: Well, I I wasn't surprised that the argument seemed to take a pro-First Amendment uh, direction as the justices were asking questions and making points. Um, I was surprised, as as you suggest, about the level of familiarity that the justices had uh, with Internet services. It was interesting, for example, Justice Kagan uh, questioning the fact that the state had exempted uh, so-called single-use services, such as photo-sharing services or or texting services drew attention to the point that Snapchat wasn't covered under the North Carolina law, whereas uh, Twitter was. And uh, for people who are familiar with both Snapchat and Twitter, you might understandably be a bit more concerned about the use of Snapchat uh, by sex offenders than you would uh, about Twitter. Uh, But to even ask that question and to make that distinction considering the exemption of statute, you'd have to know a fair amount about the two services. So I thought that was um, really a a high moment uh, in terms of the court's ability to look at the internet-based services and try to draw uh, an analysis that was relevant to the case before them.
2: Melissa, given both the uh, court's apparent familiarity with how the the internet works, which could be surprising to some and the the fact that there does seem to be at least based on argument the possibility that a majority is going to strike down this rule this law is overly broad could an alternative approach to something like this be to say that instead of making a blanket prohibition against sex offenders uh, a state could authorize judges to make an individualized determination that a particular sex offender based on the facts of his case needs to be kept off the internet say as a condition of probation or parole
1: I think it could. I mean, as far as the condition of probation or parole, one of the questions that was asked during argument was exactly that, whether that would be constitutional, and I think the sentiment was that, that it would be. Um, of course, you know, probation or, or parole is time-limited in that respect, and to the extent sex offenders have um, the propensity, or at least some of them do, to to reoffend years into the future, it, it's a limited solution, um, as with the other alternatives. Another one that was suggested uh, by one of the justices at argument was whether there could be um, an app of some sort that would allow the state to essentially monitor internet access for registered sex offenders and you know the response to that was that it might be better for First Amendment purposes but perhaps there are some Fourth Amendment problems um, with that proposal but there you know at the argument there were a number of other alternatives that have been suggested and if the court, were to decide that what North Carolina did here was too broad or wasn't narrowly tailored enough, I think the next important question from how the decision is written is what, what can states do to get at this problem.
0: I want to thank our guests, Mark Rotenberg of the Electronic Privacy Information Center and Melissa Arbusheri of Latham & Watkins, talking about the Supreme Court arguments today. On a North Carolina law that would bar many sex offenders, or would bar, bar, bar all, all convict, convicted sex offenders of accessing many social media sites. Uh, this, this looks to be, June and Michael, one of the biggest Supreme Court cases of the year. It sure does. Uh, you know,
2: it's, the justices have been very solicitous of First Amendment views here, even in facts where they, the petitioners are not particularly sympathetic. So, not too surprising that they seem to be leaning that way.